What do you do when you have no hope? When the Lord seems to be long in answering prayer. When darkness is your only friend. Where do you turn in the midst of hopelessness and despair? Should you always have confidence in affliction? This morning we come to a psalm that is hopeless. An inspired psalm. One that I believe the Lord has given us to help us understand and sympathize with those who suffer affliction without hope. Last week we were introduced to another song of lament. And in this song, the singer ended with a note of confidence, as all of the songs of lament do. They they begin in darkness and end in light. From hopelessness to hopefulness and confidence in the Lord. But the 88th Psalm is a unique one. It ends where it begins, in darkness. The psalmist doesn't lead the congregation or the soloist into hopefulness, into confidence for tomorrow, but leads it to remain in darkness. Perhaps that's been your experience in affliction. Perhaps that's currently how you feel. That the dark clouds never seem to blow away. That the difficult days just seem to turn into months and years, perhaps even decades. This psalm is for you. To give you hope when you're hopeless. Confidence when you can't seem to muster up any of those feelings. We're told that this psalm belongs to a collection of other songs by the sons of Korah. The title describes it as a mascal of Heman the Ezraite. Ethan the Ezraite is the one who authors Psalm 89. And in 1 Kings 4.31, we learn that Ethan is a wise man And his brother Heman was the same. And that's why these two go together. Men who suffered a tremendous affliction, yet in God's kindness, in God's providence, served us. I invite you to turn to Psalm 88 this morning. This is perhaps not one that you would turn to often. It's found on page 494 in the Pew Bibles provided. Let me just encourage you to grab one of those black Pew Bibles, open it to page 494. If you're not used to looking at the Bible, you'll see some large, bold numbers. Those are chapter numbers. And then those smaller numbers, uh, those are verse numbers. And this morning we're going to 
be in Psalm 88. So just look there for the large 88 on your page. A song. A psalm of the sons of Korah. To the choir master, according to Mahalath Meneoth, a maskil of Heman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. And you overwhelm me with all of your waves. Selah. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up and praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all the day long. They close in on me all together. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This psalm is quite dark. Intentionally so. But it teaches us that in the depths of darkness and despair, we ought to desperately cry out to the Lord for deliverance. While there is no implied hope or confidence, it is made explicit in the psalmist's behavior. That while life does not get better, but rather worse, it drives him to prayer. In fact, this psalm is organized around three cries for help. As the psalmist reflects upon his sorrow and suffering in the midst of dark affliction, what he describes as death, I cry to you, O Lord. I cry to you, O Lord. I cry to you, O Lord. The purpose of this psalm and this sermon is to teach us to turn to the Lord when we find ourselves hopeless. 
I think it also teaches us how to be sympathetic towards those who are in a hopeless situation. And so, we're going to organize our time together around these three cries for help. So if you take notes, there's three main ideas, or three cries for help. First, in verses 1 through 9, the psalmist desperately cries for God's help. Then, in verse 9, it turns again. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. In the second cry, he desperately calls out, God, save me, help me, where are you? And he, the tone shifts as his anger rises and he begins to question God. He lays out his case and the indictment before God, you have done this. And then in verse 13 through 18 is the third cry for help where he rehearses some of the themes that he has already introduced to us, and a new one, his friends have abandoned him. He's all alone in his darkness. Friends, let's consider these this morning as we walk through this particular psalm, and consider how this might help you or those around you. Number one, we see in verses 1 through 9, the first desperate cry for help. To you I cry, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Verse 1. There is urgency in the psalmist's language. It's an ongoing day and night. He's urgently going to God, crying out. Not just merely asking through prayer, but he's describing the emotion of his prayer through the verb cry. He's crying, screaming to God, help me, help me. He desires that the Lord would pay careful attention to him. Uh, Notice there in verse 2, incline your ear to my cry. In other words, he boldly stands before God and says, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen up, God. I have something to say. Again, as we considered over the last several weeks, these psalms give us license to speak to God in the way He desires. He, He gave us this that we might voice to Him the depth of our own emotions. Friend, we talk often about emotions, and, and, and trust me, emotions sometimes are our friend and sometimes are our enemy, right? We know that sometimes our emotions do not match reality. We might feel a certain way, but the reality is contra to that. But we also need to understand that our God created us to be emotional beings. So in in some sense, emotions are good then, right? Because God created them. And what we see here in Psalm 88 is the depth of some really dark emotions that God created for us to experience. And He's helping us give words to these feelings. Never, never think that you cannot voice to God your darkest complaints. The psalmist here is voicing to God boldly his complaints, his troubles. And we notice there in verses 3 through 9, his soul is full of troubles, he says. 
I mean, there's a whole laundry list of complaints before God. And I want you to notice that at each of these complaints, he lays them at the door of God. He says, you're the problem, God. You brought this into my life. You know, it's so interesting that how we often don't attribute our suffering to God. We're like, oh, we don't want to offend God. We don't want to like, hey, God, I, know, I don't know if you knew this happened to me. No, the psalmist here is painting a very different picture. The same God who provides good has provided this affliction to teach this psalm, to teach this psalmist to worship Him. Notice here, verses 3 through 9, a number of things. First, he says that his soul is full of troubles. Again, he's expressing the emotions of his own soul. And throughout the picture here, he's painting a picture of grave, of a grave. Sheol is a place of death abandonment. What he's painting here is a picture of tremendous suffering because of what God has done in his life. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set a loose among, like the slain, like those. He's painting a word picture here of how he feels. Now, now again, this doesn't match reality. The psalmist here is not saying he's literally dying. He just feels like it. Perhaps you have been in a place where you too feel in your affliction like you're literally dying, though physically you're fine. Physically you're healthy. Physically everything is going well, but, but because of the affliction, because of the suffering, because of what is going on, you feel like you're dying. And this is what the psalmist is describing to us and to God, that he feels as if he has been left and abandoned before God. His troubles here, as he unfolds them, go from bad to worse. He feels the weight of his affliction. And he, his emotions lead him to a very dark place. And notice what it is. Verse 7. Your wrath lays heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. He's in the ocean, and those waves just keep coming, and keep coming, and keep coming. They're relentless, right? They never stop. They just they keep crashing, and crashing, and crashing, and crashing over and over. They're relentless. But notice, he, he's saying, God, you must be angry with me. You, you, must, you must be pouring out your wrath upon me. I must have done something to cause this. And then notice here, if it wasn't bad enough that he feels like God is angry with him, notice what God does in verse 8. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. He's alone. God's mad at him. His friends have, have shunned him. They don't want anything to do. They don't, they don't want any of that to rub off on them. Friend, has that been your experience? When, when you're suffering, those around you seem to be like, I, I, don't, I don't want to be infected by whatever you got going on in your life. Too much bad karma going on with you. That's what this man felt. He was like Job. When everything was going well, Everyone wanted to hang out with Job, right? Everyone wanted to be at his house. He was wealthy. Things were going well. The sun was shining. And then God brought affliction and everyone scattered. 
And the only friends that Job could muster up were a few that were not the most helpful. It is true, even when we suffer, we find that the enemy brings friends that are less than helpful. Well, regardless here, the psalmist finds his soul full of trouble. Alone he suffers the pain of loss. Brother, sister, let me encourage you in this way. As I said earlier, I say it again. Let these words be your words. Are you in the midst of suffering and affliction? Is this how you feel? Incorporate them into your prayer life. Cry out to God your complaints. I think also we learn in the midst of this how to be sympathetic towards someone who's suffering without confidence. You know, we each suffer differently. We go through trial differently. We have different emotions and different experiences. And so we shouldn't be surprised when our brothers or sisters suffer differently than us. And this psalmist is teaching us to be sympathetic towards those who are in the midst of affliction. In the midst of suffering. One commentator put it well. The reader's part need not be that of a spectator, whatever his current mood, but of a companion in prayer to the depressed or outcast people whose state of mind the psalm puts into words which words which are for use. You say, I, I don't know what you're going through. I, I, I don't understand. I, I'll pray for you. And then you don't pray for them. Well, friend, instead of lying, as you so often do, promising to pray but then not praying, use this psalm as a prayer for your friend who's in affliction. When you say in your back of your head, when you're talking to them, I just don't understand, I don't get it, I, I, I've never had cancer, I've never lost a loved one, I, I've never lost a child, I, I don't understand, I, I've never lost my job before, I don't... I've never lost everything. Use these words. Offer these words before your heavenly Father because this is probably, most likely, how they feel. And you're expressing divine inspiration before them. Well, the psalmist cries out once, and then we'll see in verse 9, he cries out again a second time. To you I cry, O Lord. Every day, verse 9, I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Notice the posture of the psalmist. Spread, it, spread hands. An imagery of desperation. He's gone from urgency to earnestness. Desperately calling out to the Lord in prayer. Notice again the perpetual nature of his prayer. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. God has used this affliction not to push the psalmist away, but to draw the psalmist near him. As the psalmist begins to pray and to cry out, he lays out his indictment before the Lord in verses 10 through 12. Through a series of rhetorical questions, the psalmist pleads his case before the Lord. Now, 
Rhetorical questions do not mean they're true statements. So the psalmist it doesn't believe these things. Again, this is how he feels. Right? Remember, our feelings sometimes are our friends, but, but they can be our foes. And, and the psalmist here is expressing his feelings that he doesn't believe is reality. It doesn't match. But that, nonetheless, that's how he feels. And notice how he feels, verses 10 through 12. He feels like God isn't going to work because he's dead. Again, this psalm is not seeking to undermine the doctrine of the resurrection. Of course God works wonders for the dead. But he's saying, God, if I'm gone, I can't praise you. The psalmist teaches us what we do not want, right? We don't want to be abandoned. We don't desire for God to stop working in our lives Notice here, verse 11, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Abaddon is a place of suffering where we get the idea and concept of hell, a place of eternal torment and punishment because of our rebelliousness. This is a, this is a place where one's sins are not forgiven, but where God's wrath is perpetually poured out. Are your wonders known in darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? If I'm dead, gone, and forgotten. The psalmist here does not want to die under God's wrath. Through this reality, we understand if one finds himself in this place, there is no hope. So even in the midst of this hopeless situation that he finds himself, he's ultimately concerned about his eternal state. It is a reminder, as the Apostle Paul teaches, that our affliction is momentary. The affliction that we face in this very short life that we have, life is very short. Even if we are blessed to live into our 90s, 90 years is very short in comparison to eternity. And the psalmist, as he musters up his emotions and pleads his case before God, desires ultimately relief from the wrath of God, not deliverance from his momentary affliction. As God's people, our desire ultimately must be our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Regardless of our circumstances, we ought to reflect upon the affliction of God's wrath. That must rise to our greatest concern. And this morning, you might not be in the midst of affliction. Life might just be wonderful for you. And friend, I'm afraid for you because of it. You see, when life is good, we think little of God. But the psalmist here leads us to reflect upon the reality that eternal damnation is a place where we do not want to go. And that God has provided through the death of His own Son satisfaction from His wrath and forgiveness of sin. But more than that, we learn that we ought to continually cry before the Lord, even if we find no relief here and now. 
Notice the posture of the psalmist. It is a constant turning to the Lord in his affliction, in his suffering, and in his sorrows. John Calvin helpfully writes, As so dreadful the flood did not prevent the prophet from lifting up his heart in prayers to God, we may learn from his example to cast the anchor of our faith in prayers direct into heaven and all the perils of shipwreck to which we may be exposed. What does that mean? It means that God brings affliction that we might grow to pray. That God's affliction is meant to grow our faith in Him. In all the little ways we suffer, in all the little ways that we struggle, in all the large things, each of them, from one degree of glory to the next, is helping us learn to trust the Lord. Affliction is for God's glory and for our growth in Him. Well, lastly here we see a third desperate cry for help. In verse 13, the psalmist again cries out to the Lord, but I, O Lord, cry to You. In the morning, my prayer comes before You. This final time, the psalmist comes. He repeats many of his previous complaints in order to reinforce and intensify his emotions towards the Lord. In short, he makes his case crystal clear. God has brought suffering into his life and only God will bring deliverance. Again, the psalmist would not continually turn to the Lord if he did not have some, albeit small, hope that God would deliver him. We're not going to pray to God if we don't think God can do something about it. Prayer isn't just merely going through the motions, you know, informing God about a few things going on in our life. It's not information time. It's not, you're not informing God of anything. No, no, no. Prayer is dependence upon God. It's, it's, it's turning to the only one who's able to do it. This is that wonderful ending to Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that we use so often. That God in His glory is working out our lives and our prayers. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. In other words, the Apostle Paul teaches the church in Ephesus that our posture in prayer is towards God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We pray because we believe in the power that God has. Not in the power of our prayer, but in the power of the God who responds to our prayer. Well, again, lastly, he offers up this final complaint. Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. God, you brought this into my life, and I turn to you because you are the source of it. He fears being rejected by God. This is the greatest fear of any man. 
that God has abandoned him. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all the day long. They close in on me altogether. He's smothered by the water. He's drowning in his sorrow. He is in a place of utter hopelessness. Why do you cast me off? Why, why don't you bring me near? Why do you keep rejecting my cries for help? You, you, you keep turning me away. Why do you keep, why are you so far from me? And then he settles his case. It was God who had providentially brought the affliction to his life, and thus he continually turns to him. Those who should have been standing by his side in his affliction have all left him and abandoned him, and now all is darkness. If you look there at verse 18, a better translation reflected in the footnote there is that darkness has become my only companion. Isn't it a bleak picture? He only has one friend. It's not the Lord. It's not His friends around Him. Just darkness. That's His companion. You know, friends, sometimes the best medicine is simply to voice our feelings to the Lord. This, the Lord knows your heart, right? Why do we pretend so often? I mean, it's one thing to pretend with the people around us, with smiley faces, you know, everything's great. But God, who knows all things, He made you. He, he made you just like you are, intricately woven together in your mother's womb. He formed and fashioned you. He knows your greatest joys and your greatest sorrows. Why don't you voice these complaints to Him? These feelings may not be true, but it doesn't change. Regardless, by voicing our emotions and experiencing experiences, we open the dam of our soul and express the confidence and faith needed in times of trouble. Friend, bottling all this stuff up is not healthy nor helpful. Cry out to God. If you need to go somewhere, maybe in a field, and scream, friend, do that. God will listen. Though God may not answer your prayer and bring relief, God still hears. And this song gives us a helpful reminder that we ought not to abandon one another in the midst of our afflictions. His friends have shunned Him. Perhaps you've done this. Perhaps you've been the recipient of this. One commentator writes, if God by His providence shuts us up so that we cannot come forth, then let His will be done. But let us not voluntarily shut ourselves out from commerce with men simply because God has greatly afflicted us. You know, so often in our midst of our afflictions, we put on airs, we put on a smiley face, and we shut others out. 
while we should never shun someone who's in the midst of affliction, we ourselves, when in affliction, should never push people away. But invite them in. Invite them into our difficulty. Invite them into your affliction. This is what the psalmist desires and what you need. Friend, if you have a broken relationship because you have been afflicted, we are warned in this passage not to abandon our friends, but rather to carry one another's burdens. Friend, this is what a church is to be, a community of suffering saints that are ministering to one another, caring for one another's burdens, lifting one another up. Again, this psalm ends in a tremendously sorrowful place. It ends where it begins, in darkness. No relief. No bright hope for tomorrow. It ends where it all begins. Literally, our life begins in darkness, and one day will end in darkness. And such is the sad experience of so many, even sitting around in these pews this morning. No feeling sense of the Lord's presence of their life. Only a sense that God has abandoned them. He's angry with them and that their friends want nothing to do with them. You know, I wonder what it was like for the disciples. They had traveled with Jesus for three years. They had sold everything. They had abandoned their jobs, their homes, their families. Jesus said to them, if you don't hate your own mother and father, you can't be my disciple. Their early relationships had been completely severed, all because they were following this so-called Savior. And they followed Him all the way to His death. They followed Him all the way to the tomb and laying Him in there, not knowing anything that was going to happen in three days. Utter darkness. That darkness, those clouds began to form there on that night in Gethsemane. And they saw them. The Gospel writers tell us that Jesus was so afflicted by His Father's wrath that His capillaries began to burst in His head. And literally, sweat drops of blood. Jesus did not fear a Roman cross. But the wrath of His Father. He knew His Father's wrath. He had seen His Father's wrath poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. He had seen His Father's afflictions. And as the disciples wondered with these warrants placed upon them, would they meet a similar fate as their fearless leader? But in the midst of darkness... The Bible tells us that the morning star dawned and that the grave was empty. In the midst of our dark affliction, we look to the one who was afflicted for us. By his wounds, we are healed. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of your dark days, whether you are in the midst of them now or whether you're about to go into them, 
You are learning here that you are more like Jesus when you are in the midst of affliction and crying out to your Father as Jesus did upon the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But of course, God never forsook His Son. But vindicated His Son. And Christ rose again from the dead to prove that He defeated death. Christ is risen and ascended and will live forevermore. He suffered death and He defeated death for us. He died that we might live. Perhaps you're without hope. Perhaps you are without confidence. Keep turning. Keep trusting. Keep lifting one another up and looking to the cross where Christ suffered and died that we too might live forevermore. Let's pray. Father, help us, we pray. Help us in the midst of our affliction. Help our brothers and sisters who are in affliction now. Sometimes our words cannot express the pain of our own hearts. I pray that we might have a feeling sense of this text in a way that informs our mind and strengthens our weak and feeble knees. That like Christ, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and that we would follow. Strengthen us, we pray, to find hope in Christ. And for His glory, we pray this in His name. Amen. As we conclude our time, while the psalmist we found had no hope, we have hope. He had hope in God ultimately through his prayer, and we have hope in Christ, for he defeated, the de he defeated death for us. We want to affirm that truth in our final hymn, Christ our hope in life and death. Let's stand and sing together.